Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Traveling Image Makers Podcast with your host, Ugo Che. Uh, today I'm alone uh, for this episode because uh, our guest uh, is coming from the, the Far East once again. And uh, my co-host Ralph could not make it because of essentially time zone reasons, time zone differences. It will be like 2 a.m. where uh, in Chicago where Ralph is now. So, um, so it's just just going to be me, uh, but Ralph will be uh, back again with our next guest uh, next week. Um, so about our guest of today, uh, his name is Jason Thiel, and uh, he hails from uh, South Korea. Um, Jason, uh, I think uh, he is originally Canadian and moved to Korea a few years ago, but we'll uh, hear his story from his own uh, voice. Hi, Jason. How are you doing? Hi, yes. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, and you're right. I am um, uh, formerly Canadian, but I've been uh, living in South Korea for about uh, 15 years now. So it's quite some time. Wow. I thought you were younger. <laughs> <laughs> I look younger. But, uh. you look young. Yeah, definitely. So what made you move to, to Korea? Well, to put it bluntly, I was I was a broke student. Um, <laughs> But uh, back in the day, Korea was hungry for uh, teachers, and I just finished uh, university. But uh, I had a uh, my best friend who actually became my photography mentor already living here. So uh, they got me over here and set up, and the rest is all history. Uh, eventually, I met my wife here as well. Um, but you you started as a photographer in Korea. That was your uh, no. You said as a teacher, essentially. As a teacher, yeah. And then the you picked up photography. Do you do you still do you still teach? Uh, yeah, uh, from time to time, uh, it's it's a great way to sort of uh, you know basically pick up uh, an extra income on the side because it's um, you know even though it's been fifteen years, there's still a lot of demand for it. So um, you know between sessions, you can uh, you can make a good side income with it. What's so great about Korea that decided you decided to first uh, go there and then stay there? Well, I think uh, basically for me, uh, what is great about photography, I guess, from like a non, um, or sorry, great about Korea from a non-photography aspect is just that it's it's a great place to live. It's it's cheap, and you can get from point A to point B relatively quickly. Um, as a photography side, it's uh, their attitude towards photography is second to none. Everybody loves photography here. There's no suspicion or when you're out taking pictures people are wondering what you're doing there's a general appreciation for it and then there's also you have a myriad of historical buildings you have great landscapes and great cityscapes so it's it's pretty much got a bit of everything when you say that people appreciate photography there i mean uh, i take it you mean that people appreciate being photographed and uh, photographed <coughs> also but uh, also commercially, is it viable? I mean, compared to uh, Europe or the U.S. or Canada, uh, 
Is it a viable place where you can develop commercially as a photographer? That's the challenge uh, because the one of the downsides to it is the fact that um, they are fairly strict on uh, visas and whatnot. So you can't come here, say, as a tourist and just start a photography business. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why a lot of the people, uh, such as myself, um, Simon Bond, and, and others have, have come here as a um, as a teacher first, and then as we uh, you know got more established into the Korean society, you know you get married. So I have a um, a residential visa now, which allows me to pursue. Uh, photography full-time rather than um, as a side to my uh, teaching and uh, the other thing too is like to become a viable uh, professional here is a challenge as well because you are going up against a um, lot of great local photographers who know the language who know the the culture and whatnot a lot better than say you know someone coming from Canada like myself so there is a there is a large challenge or a large wall to get over to break into the market yeah i see what type of photography sells the the most in korea i mean is it uh, fine arts landscape uh, or more events uh, weddings i i would say if you're looking at it for like a consistent income uh most likely portraits uh and event photography there's a lot of demand for um you know, event photographers from foreign companies who, you know, may, they may not be dealing um, so strongly with the language. And then I would say a lot has to do with um, travel photography and uh, for like, you know, airline magazines, things like that, uh, especially since the Olympics, there's been a lot more interest in magazines wanting to capture a little bit of uh, Korea. You, you mentioned the um the fact that the country has uh, beautiful landscapes and a lot of nice historical monuments. Um, mm. Can you just maybe mention some, some locations, uh, some of what your favorite locations, your favorite mm-hmm. spots to go photographing in Korea? Um, what actually, would yeah. you recommend for people visiting Korea for the first time? Where where should they go? Because I'm personally, I'm completely ignorant. I know there's a, <laughs> there's a big city called Seoul, and that's all I know about South Korea. But if you were to tell me, oh, you should go photograph here or there, I would be completely starting from scratch. So what would you recommend? Well, um, I think a lot of people, they, they get stuck in Seoul because there is a lot to do in Seoul. But my personal advice is uh, get out of Seoul. And my number one choice uh, would be to head down to a city called uh, Gyeongju. And it's, you know, a lot of people call it the Kyoto of Korea. But basically what it is, is it's uh, an, an historical city um, that... Um, Everywhere there's like a UNESCO uh, World Heritage Temple. Ten minutes down the way, there's another like um, historical tomb area. There's just so much in such a tight area. So if you're looking for um, really a great way to um, capture some of these historical landscapes, uh, Gyeongju is is the best place to go. And then second on the list, I would say is is Busan uh, because it's a little bit different than Seoul. You've got the ocean side, you've got great mountains and beaches and a little bit of everything. And 
it's just a, a really scenic city, and a lot of people get just get stuck in Seoul, and they think, eh, Korea is okay, but not the greatest. But once you get around those areas, it's um, it'll blow your mind. There's uh, still a lot of nature. I mean, and is, is, also, is there also wildlife? Yeah, in some in some areas, like if you're getting into, um, I would say like into the uh, center of Korea, there's uh, the Upo wetlands, which is uh, great for um, bird watching, things like that. Uh, if you go across to uh, Jeju-do, which is their big uh, tourist uh, island, um, you're going to get a lot of natural landscapes, a lot of um, yeah, not so much of the the wildlife that I'm used to as a Canadian, like mm-hmm. um, you know bears and things like that. But there is a a decent amount of um, uh, birds and whatnot. Um, actually, if you go up to the uh, the DMZ, it's a lot better uh, just because no one's been allowed to cross over there in a number of years. So <laughs> uh, you, you said it's uh, it's easy to to move around. So there's uh, an efficient uh, network of public transportation. Is it like Japan, where you go around everywhere by train or something like that? Yeah, um, it's actually. And you know maybe some listeners may disagree, but I think it's actually better than Japan mm. in the in the sense that it's it's much much cheaper. But uh, the network uh, basically they have uh, a system of bullet trains similar to Japan. Uh, they're they're cheap and efficient. And then below that they've got uh, like smaller regular trains. Buses go everywhere, like. It, it would be hard pressed to get stranded in anywhere in Korea because there's some sort of transportation, and that and that is the the best part. So you can really get to anywhere you're going uh, simply and cheaply. Since we mentioned Japan, and uh, I think right now, as we are recording this, uh, the hanami season is in full swing in Japan. I mean, the cherry blossom mm. uh, season where uh, everybody gets crazy about the. The trees uh, blossoming with pink mm-hmm. flowers and so on. Uh, I remember seeing one of your articles on your website, and by the way, we will uh, put a link in the show notes to that, about cherry blossoms in Korea. So I wanted to ask, is it anything like, like in Japan? I mean, so pervasive, uh, like so everywhere, and people get crazy and they stay out, uh, and there's big crowds everywhere. How's the situation there? Oh, it, it's... Um, unbelievable here Um, like right now I think it's this weekend there's a huge cherry blossom festival in uh, a city called Jinhae and it'll attract hundreds of thousands of visitors like you literally cannot move in this little area and everywhere you go uh, especially in places like uh, as I mentioned Gyeongju uh, there are just cherry blossoms exploding down the streets you name it and people come out in droves like um, even last weekend I was in Gyeongju, um, and you know, by about lunchtime you couldn't move or even get out of the, the city. There's just so many tourists coming in to, uh, you know, stand in the blossoms and take pictures and whatnot. And then, uh, the city I live in actually is called Ulsan. It's more of an industrial city, but even then it's just right now is exploding with with cherry blossoms so you'll see people standing in the middle of the streets taking selfies you name it it's it's pretty crazy uh, i tend to think that maybe there isn't as much uh western foreign tourism coming into korea res- with respect to japan 
Mm. Right. That that is correct. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's a bit less crowded because of that. that people should maybe consider yeah. it as an alternative to to Japan. I don't know. I I think it's it's uh, this has been something that I've been um, like even dealing with with like the KTO, the Korean Tourism Organization. Um, I've done some projects with uh, Seoul up there, and I think what it is is that like uh, Korea is in a situation where they're stuck in between uh, China, which gets a huge amount of tourism. There's tons of places to see. And then you got Japan. And Korea is sort of um, in between that. And a lot of people sort of skip over top, uh, especially photographers looking to, say, uh, sell travel images because people know China. They know uh, Japan. They know Tokyo. But a lot of people, if I say, well, here's a picture of Gyeongju, mm-hmm. they, they, don't, they won't really know it. So... It, it's a challenge for them to um, really promote themselves. And uh, it, it's sad because there's so much uh, amazing stuff going on here. Yeah, I don't know if it's sad or it's good because, I mean, if <laughs> less, yeah. le- fewer tourists, less crowds, then uh, maybe it's better for photography. I mean, just a well, bit selfishly, we can say that it's uh, there's still a lot of places there that maybe still to be discovered that haven't been the photographs haven't been taken a, a million mm-hmm. times already um, me personally as I said I don't know anything about Korea the places you mentioned I don't even have a, a picture of them in my eyes to, to refer to and so maybe there's more uh, opportunities of getting something unique and original oh, exactly um, I, I will say though that like where Korea sort of uh, falls short I would say in a Western uh, photographic sense, um, they do pick up in a lot of local tourism, um, you know, which is, is which is kind of interesting. Like when I said their pr- uh, approach to photography, um, a lot of the places I visit, um, you know, and I just always have this funny story of standing in a beach um, near where I live now. It's about tw- half hour down the road and you know, getting set up for sunrise and then hearing the uh, the doors swing open of two buses full of Korean photographers. Um, so locally, um, a lot of these places are are full of tourists uh, and full of photographers. Like there's um, like a ton of activity um, all across the uh, the country uh, for the photo- photogenic areas. So it, it is a tough battle there too. Um, you just don't see a lot of Western. Uh, photographers there um, I would say about 10 to 1 you know if there's so I'm going to to Japan this November right oh, okay um, yeah and I'm planning my my trip there and the places I want to see and I want to photograph and of course I will include I, I don't know I will go to Kyoto and mm-hmm. hopefully try to photograph I don't know the golden pavilion Yes, <laughs> which I've yeah. seen a million of photos of it. Okay, I'm going to go there. I'm going to get my own, try to get my best photo of that place and so on. But it's hardly going to be unique. Uh, mm-hmm. If I'm thinking about Korea, I don't, I have no idea. I have never. Ah, yeah. Maybe I've seen, I mean, I've seen your photos of Korea on your site these days when I was preparing for the interview. But if I were to, to come to Korea and take photos there and add them to my portfolio, uh, much fewer people will have seen them, right? Ah, yeah, stand good out more. Maybe just that just my thinking. I mean, they will be popular in Korea, but not so mm-hmm. much outside of it. So they might yeah. have a maybe a better market. It will sell more because they are not as already 
have not been seen already a million times. That was just my yeah. my idea. Yeah, I think that's uh, that. I think that's a good point. Yeah, it's um, and and it's it's one of these things too, like where it's it's a double edged sword because um, yeah, again, like it's not easily as recognizable as mm-hmm. as yeah, like the, uh, places in Kyoto and. You know, Tokyo and stuff like that. So yeah. On the other hand, you might find. I mean, if you're selling stock, you find mm. uh, and you put your photos up there, there will be a, a million searches for Kyoto Golden Pavilion or something like that, and will be very few for places in Korea. So maybe that's the, yeah, the other edge exactly. of the, the sword. <laughs> I don't know. So I found over the years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, just the, the last thing about parallels between Japan and Korea, just because I'm interested in Japan, as I said. Mm. Uh, another reason to go to Japan is for the, the history, of course, the monuments, but also the, the cultural events that happened there. The, I don't know, um, Shinto ceremonies with uh, those priests wearing robes or the geishas in, to- in Kyoto and so on. Is there anything like that in Korea, like uh, cultural, oh. uh, religious events that you can go and photograph? Yeah, and, that, and that's actually the um, one of the other things because, like, um, it, it. What I love about this country is that they're very, very open towards the culture. Um, so, for example, coming up in uh, May, uh, around May fifth, there's uh, Buddha's birthday. So, it's probably one of the most beautiful times uh, to visit uh, Korea because all of the temples are uh, adorned with these magnificent uh paper lanterns and they're all lit up and it's it's a very open culture so uh, a couple of years ago i was photographing one of the more uh ancient temples here and they had a uh, light parade so all the monks had lanterns and they all walked up this ancient path towards the temple and the guy just turned to me and he's like you know you can go up before us to get better pictures like it's 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 fine like we want you to do this. And it was such an amazing feeling, like being a part of this this ceremony and being allowed to photograph, uh, you know, the monks as they make their way up. And it's just, there's so many events like that uh, with regards to the temples and the culture. Um, another good one is uh, just um, a couple of months ago, they had um, the uh, fire ceremony where they, um, they'll light huge bonfires and they'll swing... Uh, buckets of fire around to to sort of uh, bring in the the uh, the first full moon of the lunar new year and to to um, have a good harvest and this dates back to you know before even Buddhism it's it's one of the few ancient rituals left and it's it's just a really cool sight to see. Cool. Uh, what's the best time of the year to come to Korea? Um, I would say there's two best times. My favorite would be uh, right now or maybe even a week ago as the cherry blossoms are in full bloom. Uh, Temperature-wise, it's quite moderate, not that cold. Um, And then fall as well is is another great time to sort of come because, again, it's not too cold. It's not too warm. Uh, The summertime is not bad, but it does get uh, very hot and humid here. So it's... um, it can get a little bit uh, sticky. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I remember seeing some photos of fall colors in on your website, so I think that's uh, definitely a great season to go in uh, the mountains or the, right. Oh yeah, yeah like um, the and especially again, like going back to the temples, like a lot of the mountain temples in the uh, the fall weather are just just beautiful. 
Good, you made me. You made me want to come to Korea for. <laughs> Anytime, uh, I've got I've got a comfortable couch for you here. <laughs> I'll start planning. I'll start planning, and maybe next year after Japan, I will want to visit Korea. Who knows? Please do. <laughs> um, I'd like now to to talk about another topic uh, because uh, again, I've seen a, a lot of it on your uh, a lot exam a lot of examples on your website, uh, oh, and, yeah. that, and that is uh, cinemagraphs. And mm -hmm. see, you, you practice that a lot. So can you, first of all, tell uh, our audience, for those who don't know what a cinemagraph is, what exactly it is? Uh, essentially, uh, to put it as simply as I can, uh, it's a still image with a moving element to it. Um, a lot of the uh, people call it a hybrid image, but what it basically boils down to is you have a still image over top of a moving object so if you take a picture of a uh, a woman in the wind her hair may be blowing something like that mm -hmm. so and it's typically uh, a video file or a gif that well, they import export as what's the difference between a cinemagraph and the video then um basically with a like uh like a looping video or something the whole image is uh moving uh with with a cinemagraph it'll only be like one specific element okay. and and the rest of it. Um, the term I'd like to use is a cinemagraph uh, sort of creates like a, um, like a almost like a, a tension uh, between what's moving and what's what's not moving. I see, uh, and it requires a specific software to to create it. Yeah, um, you can do it in um, things like uh, Photoshop or other other apps out there, but I think um, bar none, um, the best and easiest one to use is, is Flixel's Cinemagraph Pro. So before um, Flixel Cinemagraph Pro, I, I didn't see much of it. So maybe the fact that now this software is available and it's uh, here, it's easy to use. With respect to Photoshop, you have to do a lot of manual labor, right? So it, exactly. it, it has made this uh, form of art kind of uh, explode on the, on the oh, scene. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that um, I've, I've worked with Flixel uh, as a brand ambassador for a number of years now, and they've really sort of pushed this medium uh, into uh, the commonplace and like from not only just their... Um, the app that they've created, but um, how they handle promoting uh, the cinemagraphs and even their their studio side, where they'll they'll take on major ad campaigns. Like they've really done a lot to get this, uh, I would say, a new format uh, in into the mainstream. Does it require you to to plan it in advance? I mean, you want to to make a cinemagraph, so you don't just uh, <coughs> randomly take a sequence of shots, but you, you plan it uh, with this, uh, carefully your subject and what is going to be moving in the picture or is something that you can somehow discover afterwards and you have a sequence of... Uh, I, first of all, I take you you, you go, you, you set your camera to do continuous shooting, rapid fire, right? Or do you shoot video? Then you take uh, frames it, out of the video. It, it depends on um, what you're looking for and... Um, Typically, I, I, I do it with video, and you are right. It does take a bit of planning um, because I think the like the biggest mistakes that a lot of, I'd say, new people to cinemagraphs make, and I've done these as well, is they'll just shoot you know, a video of, say, uh, water flowing or something like that, 
and then they'll just you know mask out the water and it's a you know it just looks like a looping video uh the best cinemagraphs are the ones where you've sort of planned out what you want to move and again it's that tension um between the still objects and the moving objects so when you're very deliberate in what you want to move that's what creates um these these iconic cinemagraphs yeah i remember when first came up on on the scene uh, most of the examples that i saw were just clouds moving in the sky which was after a while it tends to be a little bit boring <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I, I see you progressed in this uh in this art form and your cinemagraphs are definitely it it, it shows that you're thought out much more carefully and trying to create something a bit more original maybe <laughs> yeah it's 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 one of these things and and that's what really sort of uh drove me to sort of uh pursue this because like the biggest challenge like a lot of people when they see a cinemagraph they think it's sort of this you know rinky dink boomerang instagram thing but uh when you start really planning out these uh sequences where it'll be yeah where you're incorporating time lapse or you're incorporating like what you want really want to be um moving and not moving it it is a challenge uh sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work but when it does it it really makes uh everything sort of stand out and i found that like even you know a lot of people interact with these images a little bit more uh depending on how well they're done speaking of interacting and people uh appreciating those images uh what's the commercial side of it if it has one i mean for you or uh, i guess you, you mentioned that flixel does uh ad campaigns with that but of course it has to be online right you cannot print it in a magazine or no. to fine art with it what's the what's the main uh, commercial avenue for cinemagraphs is going to be ad campaigns do they do they work well on instagram for example of course on websites they do what's the how does it go? Yeah, I think that um, yeah, you're right. Like the um, for fine arts, it's 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 not going to be something um, that will be bought and sold in galleries. But uh, there is a growing market, um, especially for ad campaigns, like things that um, I've done in the past where I've created content uh, specific for brands and whatnot. Um, you know, again, websites, uh, there's been a lot of interest uh, because you can actually uh, embed the cinemagraph into the, say, the background of a website. Um, there's a lot of interest there. And I know that um, there are a couple of specific um, uh, stock agencies out there that are dealing with with cinemagraphs solely. So, like, there is a market to get into to selling them. And again, like, Instagram. Everybody wants um, something unique for their for their pages, and I think right now they're 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 willing to uh, to pay for it. So I've I've seen a lot of the uh, my fellow I guess cinemagraph creators doing stuff for places like Starbucks and whatnot, mm -hmm. different watch companies. So, uh, how long does it take uh, to become proficient at creating cinemagraphs? I, I think if if you're if you're proficient uh, with I'd say video and and um, uh, editing that way, uh, if you're good at masking as well, then it, it shouldn't take too long. Uh, but definitely, it's it's one of these things where um, the the 
details are are what you got to work on. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not something that you can really just, um, you know, if if someone hires you, you can't really like just pop your mm-hmm. camera on a tripod and bang out a few cinemagraphs. Like it does take sort of an idea of what you want and then being able to achieve it. And how much is the software? Um, that's I think that they're 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 quite pricey for Flixel. Uh, I believe um, they're up to about fourteen uh, dollars a month, something like that. Oh, okay. uh, maybe less uh, now over the years. But uh, the 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 biggest drawback a lot of people have said was the the uh, the price, and um, I think that. Um, yeah, I think maybe what f- people don't mm-hmm. realize is just that there's a lot more to the package than just uh, Cinemagraph Pro. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, I can imagine that people doing it for a, like a hobby for their own Instagram feed just to do something fun would find $14 a month. It <laughs> would be a bit pricey. Yeah, but for professional use, it's not really much. Yeah, and I, and I think like that's where a lot of people... Um, um, get a little bit caught up but like um what they've done recently is they've um um you you know you can download the software um uh and and use it but you you also get the hosting so that that's Mm -hmm. where i think um it makes up for it as well as because you can um when you produce a cinemagraph you can upload it to their site and they will host that image so you can just use the embed code to uh, put into your blog posts or your uh, website and whatnot. And then they've also, I think, just kicked out a new uh, app. I think it's called Blendio, which is a part of that plan as well. Mm-hmm. So you're getting a, um, a very unique app uh, for a mobile device. Um, I'm looking here at the Flixel page and it says, um, of course, be, me being in Italy, it shows price in euros. And there's a mobile plan, uh, which is 8.33 euros a month, which I think translates roughly to $10. Yeah. So then the professional plan uh, to use your computer and photography equipment is uh, 16.67 euros a month, which about $20. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not not really that cheap. Maybe I'll uh, I get the trial version and experiment a little bit if I see if again I get caught up with this uh, another sink well, I, of I, my I, time and money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I do think though that like um, if you're playing around, uh, definitely try out the the Blendio app because uh, that just came out recently and the ability to do long exposure on your phone. Uh, is is really unique and uh they put some amazing tech into that so i definitely play around with that as well and it works well with the cinemagraph uh, app oh i see blendio cool yeah we, we'll put links to that in in the show notes i'm going to try this see what i can get then i need to find the time to experiment which is the hardest oh part. definitely definitely it, it it is like once you get into it you'll start seeing uh the movement uh in a lot of your still images and you'll I, I guarantee once you once you uh, play around with it um, you know you'll start like looking even in a portrait session of oh I can I, I can be able to do this and then you'll try and do it and it'll come out well like I, I can guarantee it'll it'll become a little bit of an obsession after a while <laughs> yeah I don't know I mean um, I have so little time for 
photography, still photography, right? And I always thinking, oh, I should do more video or I should use my drone more frequently. But when I'm, mm. uh, when I'm in a great location, I, I tend to just uh, try to get as many good still photos as possible. That's just my uh, way of doing things. So I end up not doing video. I end up not using the drone. And I think if I were to spend time thinking and uh, planning cinemagraphs, I would uh, end up maybe not doing them. I don't know. That's, uh, but that's just me. I mean, it's, uh, huh. it's great for people who want to, to do something different, to pursue a different avenue. And it's, uh, it's also fun, I guess, right? It's, uh, the result can be really mesmerizing. Oh, exactly. And, and yeah, and I think that's, that's sort of a good point that you bring up is to be like, if you're more focused on still photography, uh, cause you know, being a drone owner myself, it's, you know, you've got, I'm basically multitasking as I'm shooting still images, drone images, cinemagraphs. It's all sort of wrapped up into one, one session. So it can be a bit overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. So as I said, we'll put links to those products in the show notes and also to if you want to send some uh, samples uh, here, we'll include them in the in the show notes for the blog post that goes together with this episode. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Before we wrap this episode up, uh, can you tell us what's what's next for you? Do you have anything planned, any new endeavors, uh, travels uh, or, or anything coming up? Yeah, uh, basically, what I'm uh, working on right now is I'm I'm restructuring uh, my blog, so that's um, I'm going to be producing more uh, regular content. And then um, the biggest project that we're working on is a uh, a, a brand new uh, Instagram page that I've been focusing on the uh, unique Korean lighthouses here. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've been uh, traveling a lot around the country into some fairly obscure places to capture these very, very unique uh, lighthouses. So that's been um, uh, consuming a lot of my time and probably will be into into the next year. Now, there are nice lighthouses in Korea. That's interesting. One more reason to come. I mean, I love lighthouses. <laughs> they're, um, what, they're, they're, I would say, interesting in the sense that uh, there are a ton of uh, themed lighthouses. So mm-hmm. everywhere you go, there'll be a... Um, a soccer lighthouse with which is a huge soccer ball or a oh. or a um a bell lighthouse or, and and things like that there's everywhere you go up and down the coast there's just these random uh beautifully constructed but differently shaped lighthouses with their own theme from seagulls to to uh seaweed you know so um, interesting I have no, yeah, no so idea. Would like to see some samples if you have send them over. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And and check out Korean lighthouses on Instagram. You'll see a bunch there as well. <laughs> cool. We'll put a link again in the, in the show notes to that as well. Uh, aside from that, where can people find you online? You mentioned your blog, your website. So what's the yeah, the address that you were on? Uh, it's uh, com or you can find me at uh, jtealphoto on Instagram. Great. Uh, anything else you would like to, to add before we close this? Um, I would just like to extend a warm and friendly welcome to Korea. So if you're heading over here, do reach out, and I'll be happy to uh, help you explore this this country. Yeah, I'll think about it, seriously. <laughs> new, destination, <laughs> new destination on my bucket list. 
Okay. Excellent. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Uh, it's been great to, I think it's first time on this uh, show where we talk about Korea. Uh, yeah, and, we, and thank you for having me. This has been a great experience. I think we briefly talked about it when we had uh, our common friend Pete DeMarco here a few episodes ago. But we mostly oh, that's right. We mostly talked about Malaysia and Penang, where he lives now. But uh, it's it's great to have uh, um, some. Oh, also Simon Bond. Yeah, of course. I almost forget. Yep, Simon and um, also in I Korea. think Scott Herder lived here as well. So uh-huh. yeah, great. Uh, so thanks again. Uh, we'll put a link to everything we mentioned in the show notes uh, there will be some examples of your photos there so uh, thanks for your time uh, just before closing I would like to remind everyone that they can find uh, this episode and all the others at uh, uh, the Traveling Image Makers that is at ttim.photo this is our main website and also on Facebook uh, and Instagram as the Traveling Image Makers um, as for me, you can find everything about me at my website, uh, ucphoto.me. And as for our co-host, Ralph Velasco, who will be shortly back uh, on the show uh, in the next episode, you can find everything about him at photoenrichment.com. And now let's get out and shoot.